Thank you, Pastor. I just want to say I love this church. Um, the people of this church, I want to thank you. I mean, you've loved our family. You've helped us grow here. This is a healthy church. This is a thriving church. This is a church I feel home at. Um, and, you know, how great is our God that's seated on the throne? Um, how great is our church, a church that's growing, a church that's effective in the community, a church that you can feel at home at? Uh, I want to thank Pastor John, Pastor Kent. Thank you all for the opportunity. Thank you for encouraging. Thank you for growing. Um, and I want to thank Jake for getting here on time because 20 <laughs> minutes would have turned into 40 minutes. Uh, so I'm grateful to you, Jake. Um, I don't know what the call to preach looks like. I know the Lord has been softening my heart for a long time um, to be available uh, and to be um, comfortable filling a pulpit if needed. I don't, you know, for now it looks like lay preaching, filling a pulpit when needed. Um, I do have a heart for churches in our community that don't have pastors. There's a lot of churches in our community that, you know, it's fruit that's not being nourished on the vine because they don't have a pastor. Um, and I know that's a ministry me and Brother Herman have talked about quite a bit. He's filled a pulpit in some vacant churches before uh, and encouraged me in that route. I just want to do what the Lord has me to do. And this is the first step. And again, I, I thank you all for encouraging and I thank you for listening. The turnout tonight is great. Uh, I think we're all called to preach. We're all called to proclaim the gospel and tell the word about the coming kingdom. Yeah. Um, so with that, let's get into our lesson. If you want a sermon title tonight, uh, my sermon title would be, Are You Eating the Wrong Kind of Bread? Uh, and this is not a sermon about dieting, so don't <laughs> worry. Um, our, our passage is going to come from Psalm 127, so if you want to turn in your Bibles there. I'm going to really just key in on verse 2 of Psalm 127, but I want to go ahead and read the entire chapter just because it's so content-rich. And this chapter is really talking about the vanity of human endeavors without God's blessing. And at the end, it talks about an extremely applicable attribute, and that is God's good gift of children. I'm not really going to be speaking about the latter half, God's gift of children, of children, I do want to speak about uh, the first part of this. Let's read in Psalm 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for using a lowly vessel like me. Lord, I just ask that I get out of the way, uh, that I can hide behind the cross, Father. If there be any sin in me, Lord, I just ask that you forgive me so that I can be a vessel suited for your purpose. Uh, may your word speak to your church tonight. And I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this people. I thank you for this thriving church, a blessed gift in this community. Lord, bless our time together in your word, and it's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be talking this evening about the anxious toil that we experience in our lives. We're going to be talking about how our lives are changed by the anxiety and the stress of worry and what worry brings about and how we can combat that with the recognition and the realization and living in 
the full recognition of the finished, completed work and the victory on the cross that Jesus had. Verse 2 is really what I want to key in on, and I'm going to read it one more time. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Verse 2 talks about this bread of sorrows. It talks about this bread of worry, this bread of concern, this bread of stress, this bread of negativity. Um, it's viewed in a negative light. It's a bad thing. Am I the only one that struggles with worry in here? I know the answer to that is no. I know it's a battle for our sanctification sometimes to get out of that mindset of worry. We just spent two horrible years surrounded by, as a nation and as a world really, surrounded by a whole lot of worry. And that's the bread of worry. This, this world is full of things that Satan can use to distract us and keep us worrying. Family, money, war, rumors of war, our health, jobs, work, the security of the future. The list really is endless. I could stand up here all night and talk about how endless the list is of things we can worry about. But worries are just that. Worries are a distraction. Worries are something, a tool Satan uses to take our focus off of the Lord. Let's remember Peter in Matthew 14, 29 through 31. I'm going to turn in my Bible, Matthew 14, 29 through 31. And for the sake of time, I'll begin reading here. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? We see that Peter here was filled with worry. He knew what his mission was. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew where he was supposed to go. He wanted to go because he said, Christ, bid me that I come out. And he did. He had the courage to step out of the boat. But it was begin when the waves began to get boisterous. When he was in that environment, when things really started to sink in for him, it was too late. He's already out of the boat. He's on the water. And doubt and worry and that bread of sorrow began to come over him, and he began to sink. We're like that as believers, aren't we? God calls us to something. We step out of the boat. We take courageous acts of faith. And then as we get into it a little bit, as we begin to get comfortable, as we begin to recognize the situation, that's when worry, that's when anxiety, that's when toil sets in. I argue that some of the most revealing moments in a believer's life, in our life, is when you wake up in the middle of the night. When it's quiet, your spouse is still asleep, the kids are asleep, the house is quiet, there's no noise, and you're there wide awake in your mind with nothing, no distractions. What's on your mind at that point? Is it worry? Is it stress? Is it anxiety about tomorrow or what's to come this week? Or is it a praise and an admiration for a living king, a risen king who sits on the throne? That's pretty telling. I know that oftentimes I worry and despair. I wake up in the middle of the night and worry kicks in. That's Satan at work. Let's call it what it is. Satan begins to work through worry and concern and doubt and dread and all those things that he uses to bind us up. This sermon's for me. As I've grown in my walk with the Lord, I've grown in the ability to resist some forms of worry. I still do it very often. You can ask my wife. But I've grown a resistance to that. As a young believer and a young paramedic, um, I saw a lot of horrible, devastating tragedies, and in my mind, there was no such thing as a healthy person or a healthy child. 
which made it very difficult to have young children, which made it very difficult to trust that when my wife got in the car, something tragic wasn't going to happen. I spent a tremendous amount of time in worry and in dread, yet we still see that Solomon talks here and he says, listen, why are you consuming? Why are you getting up early? Why are you sitting up late consuming the bread of sorrows? The Hebrew word for sorrows is atzab. It's very interesting, the definition. It is to form or shape grief. To form or shape grief like you're shaping a loaf of bread. To be afflicted with mental discomfort. It's the same word used to describe the grief and worry that Joseph's brothers felt when they saw Joseph in Egypt for the first time. This paralyzing dread, worry, and fear of the unknown or what was to come. Don't we shape our own grief? Don't we shape our own worry? Don't we develop it and protect it and grow it and harbor it deep in our mind where nobody can get to it, where the Lord can't get to it, where we're not as easily to recall it and surrender it in prayer? We form it, we protect it, we grow it. Remember the deep anxiety that King Saul had. He consumed a steady diet of the bread of sorrow. It motivated his actions because it first controlled his thoughts. His actions were reflective of his thoughts. Pastor John touched on that this morning. It was a heart issue for Saul. It was a worry that he built, that he grew, that he formed, and it eventually controlled his life. Here was the chosen king of Israel, the first chosen king of Israel, and worry, sorrow, changed his entire existence. It changed his effectiveness in his family. It changed his effectiveness in his ability to lead his country. It ruined the man. It ruined Saul. We look at the sorrowful man that he ended up. Um, a sad, sad story. Well, what's the origin of sorrow? We all know the we all know we experience sorrow, but what is the origin of sorrow? If you'll turn with me to Genesis 3, Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Part of the curse from man's fall into sin is this sorrow that we're talking about tonight. I'm going to begin in, begin in verse 17 of chapter 3. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Listen to these words. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and until dust thou shalt return. Sorrow is part of a fallen world. There is pain, loss, death, disease, dying, and tragedy. That's part of living in a sorrowful world. That was the curse that we inherited from our father, Adam. The downside to this is that sometimes it paralyzes us. It paralyzes the majority of the world. I can't even imagine not having my faith in Christ to lean on. Imagine the tragedy of loss and death that those that don't believe in Christ go through. It, it's, it's really unimaginable, no hope whatsoever. But Satan wants the Christ follower to dwell on this bread of sorrow. He wants them to dwell with an anxious mind for one reason. And that one reason is that it distracts the believer from the Great Commission. It distracts the, the believer from the one job that Jesus left us with when he left this earth until he returned 
go and preach the gospel. Satan can't pluck you out of the hand of God as a believer. You are protected. But he can torment your mind. He can chain you to the wall with anxiety. He can chain you up and bind you up in your mind. He lets you do the work. He don't have to do a whole lot of work. He just plants the seed, and you chain yourself. Proverbs 20, 17, that says, The bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be full of gravel. Satan serves the bread of deceit really well. That's his strategy. He's been serving that since the third chapter of Genesis. If we keep ourselves chained to the wall with our worry and our own thoughts, we become really ineffective for kingdom work. We, come, we become really ineffective at pointing others to Christ. We become really ineffective about encouraging others. We draw into ourselves, and the more of the bread of sorrow you eat, you begin to want to serve that to other people as well. We like to share food. We also like to share our worry and our anxiety, and we like to share that bread of sorrow with other people. But I'll argue that there's one sound that Satan really hates, and that's the sound of those chains falling to the ground as we're liberated from worry, as we draw close to Christ, as we let him control our thoughts, as we let him control our thought patterns. When we're freed from the bondage of sorrow, that is a sound that Satan surely hates because we're back in the game, we're back in the fight, we're back doing the work of the Great Commission. For our believers, it is always well with your soul. I'll read a couple verses of it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. Another verse says, for me, be it Christ, be it Christ hence to live. If dark hours about me shall roll, no pang shall be mine. For in death, as in life, thou wilt whisper thy peace to my soul. There's never been a time in Luke Fisher's life where I've fully surrendered my thought pattern to Christ, where I've trusted deeply enough in Christ, where I've fully casted worry and concern on Christ. It's a challenge to all of us to fully and completely and utterly put ourselves aside and crucify the flesh and our desire to be sorrowful and to dwell in that sorrow and cast it on Christ. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The possible origins of this psalm, and a little research I did, is when Assyria was coming against Israel under the reign of King Hezekiah. We find that in 2 Kings 18 and 19. We're not going to go into all that. But the angel of the Lord struck down 185,000 I'll say that again, 185,000 Assyrians overnight. This was without any assistance from any human. This was without any assistance from any natural disaster or natural cause. Israel woke up the next morning to see a valley full of corpses. Dead enemy and Assyria fled. God, God said, be still and know that I am God. Let's ask a couple hard questions here. What is God's track record in your life? How many times has he intervened to save your life? How many countless blessings do you have? Then what cause have you to eat the bread of sorrow?
like you do? What cause have I to eat the bread of sorrow like I do? You may ask yourself, well, Luke, what about the needs of physical things? Isn't that worry? Isn't worrying about that stuff justified? I'll say the answer to that is no. In his book on the 23rd Psalm, Philip Keller speaks to David's statement, I shall not want. He elaborates on that. He says, for this reason, the Christian has to take a long, hard look at life. He has to recognize that as with many God's choice people before him, he may be called to experience lack of wealth or material benefits. He has, he has to see his sojourn upon the planet as a brief interlude during which there may well be some privation doing without in a physical sense. This is a powerful statement. Yet amid such hardship, can he still boast, I shall not want. I shall not lack the expert care and management of my master. That's what, that's what that psalm is saying. That's what David's psalm is saying. So in closing here, I want to talk about the remedy to this bread of sorrow. You could, I guess, call it a diet plan. You have to have something in your diet besides the bread of sorrows. Let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. We're looking at verse 48 through 51. John 6, 48 through 51. This is Jesus speaking. What powerful words. I am that bread of life. Your fathers died, or your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. What a beautiful thing. The bread of life, Jesus, is what we are to consume. Jesus is what we are to eat, what we are to drink, what we are to consume in all ways. It's all Jesus. So we need to be filling our bellies with the bread of life so that we're too full to consume any bread of sorrow. A beautiful thing about Christ is we serve a king that is acquainted with grief and sorrow. Isaiah 53.3 says the coming Messiah. It's talking about the coming Messiah. He is despised and rejected of men. Listen to this. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus walked through much grief and sorrow in this world. He had really the most sorrowful existence ever, if you think about it. An innocent man who died on behalf of everybody else but he chose to do that. But we serve a Savior, we serve a King who knows what we're going through. It's not irrelevant to him. It's, it's, he's intimately familiar with what we're going through. And he gives us the perfect example of how to live in a sorrow-filled world. Remember the WWJD bracelets that were wildly popular back in the 90s? They are a great reminder. I guess they just kind of died off. But I think we as believers should take it a step further. Instead of what would Jesus do, I think we should ask ourselves the question, how would Jesus think? Because I think disciplining the mind and the thought life is where we really get off the rails as believers. I think the mark of a Christ follower is that you desire and you strive to take on the mind of Christ. That includes making the flesh submit to this spiritual diet plan. 
You tell the flesh what type of bread it's going to consume. The flesh doesn't tell you what you're going to consume. Let's, let's, let's consume the bread of life instead of the bread of sorrows. Let's rest in the knowledge of Christ's finished work on Calvary because, church, that's what it's all about. The most important words ever spoken were, it is finished. The Aramaic word, mashalem, the most important words ever spoken should send chills down your spine to know Christ said it's all accounted for. It's all covered. It's already done. Just walk through this life and do the job that I have for you. Follow me and the example that I give you. It is finished. Christ has already won the victory. Satan may still try to buffet our minds, and he will win skirmishes. Don't get me wrong. We are flesh. But he has certainly already fully and entirely lost the war. Read the end of the book. We know how it turns out. Three encouragements in closing. Three things I think will help us on this diet plan. That's consume the bread of life. Number one, that's the most important thing. Consume Jesus. Read the Bible. Be in prayer. Worshipful. Your work, your heart attitude is what matters. Your thought life and disciplining that thought life is what matters. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know this bread of life, first, trust God, get saved, and then begin consuming the bread of life. We need to, number two, follow the example of the risen king. He's been here. He's done it. He knows what it's like. And we have all we need in him to follow him. Number three, Train your mind is on things above. Colossians 3.2 says this, set your affection on things above, not on things of earth. Our job as believers is to encourage others in Christ and towards Christ. This is the true joy in the Christian's life. This is the bread of life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for the faithfulness of your word to challenge our hearts to purify us, to redirect us, to guide us, and to equip us. I ask that as a church, Lord, we grow, we be strengthened, we be renewed in your word, and that, Father, we encourage each other to instead of choosing the bread of sorrow, Lord, to choose the bread of life and to encourage each other in the work that we still have to do in this world, Lord, until we see you face to face. And what a glorious day that will be. I thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Appreciate that. Boy, that was tremendous, I tell you. Some good truths from the Word of God. I loved what he said there about shaping our own grief. Boy, I'm telling you what, most of, most of what we worry about, most of what we sorrow over isn't real. It's something we have molded and shaped and dreamed up ourselves. Well, I'll tell you what, a lot of good truths there, Brother Luke. Appreciate that. Thank you for that. Well, this time, we got a special treat. Uh, I'm not sure who all has been recruited uh, at this time, but I believe Miss Jessica, Miss Joanna, uh, and Kaylee, and Kel, and Bree are all going to come sing for us. And so then after they sing, uh, Jake will come and preach for us.
appreciate that tremendous job. Jake, you come on. Preach to us, brother. I'll be honest. I was, I was hoping that song would never end. Luke, Luke was talking about worry, and he started doing that, and I think I started worrying. But anyways, uh, I, would, I would call this, I guess, my first official message. Uh, when I was a teenager, we went to a teen camp down there in Pensacola, and I think at that time in life, every teenager that ever went to teen camp uh, would surrender to, to preach. Um, and I, I think as Christians, we all have that, that calling to at least go and tell. Um, so I did that, and, you know, we come back from teen camp, and I think everybody came up here, all the guys at least, uh, would come up and, you know, give a 10, 12-minute message, if that. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of died out, and I've thought about it for the past couple years. And Thursday night of revival, I Honestly, I don't even know what the preacher said, but I just kind of felt like a little tap on my shoulder. It really wasn't anybody tapping, but I was like, what's going on? And the Lord was like, hey, are you going to be doing that one day? Are you going to be going places and preaching? And I was like, no, that's, that's not me. Uh, but, you know, the more I got to thinking about it by the end of the message, I was, I was at the altar and I was like, you know, I want to preach. Um, I want to go places and preach. I want to, you know, do a little bit of traveling. I, I don't know if you'd call that an evangelist or, or whatnot, um, but that's kind of what I want to do. Uh, obviously, I'm I'm still with the sheriff's office, but I'll be traveling some and trying to preach some. Uh, and I thought no better place than to start here at Marlbrook. And so I kind of told Pastor John about it one night, and he was like, "Well, you want to preach this night? Luke's preaching." I was like, he, "Yeah, that's fine." <laughs> <laughs> so I. Uh, I started preparing a message, and anyways, I told Michaela, I, I think I'm going to be in Ephesians or Philippians. This is a little funny story on, on your pastor here. I always thought he was a uh, a carpenter. A, uh, I knew he was a pastor. Obviously, he's here, but he, he's the jack of all trades, and uh, you know, I've once heard it said that Pastor John could take a chainsaw on a two-by-four and build you a house in less than a day. I can't remember who said it, but they, they said that's the man. He, he could do anything. And uh, I never imagined him being uh, a book reader. Michaela told him that I needed a uh, concordance. And I was like, okay, she's going to bring home a book and uh, to, to help me study with the message. And then she said, hey, I got seven books to bring home to you. I was like, okay, you know, I'm expecting, you know, like seven books, right? No, I'm talking like seven books this thick each. I was like, okay, I have a lot of stuff to go through to to reach a, a pastor level, but anyways, it, if he reads as much as he has given me, he should just go ahead and write one himself, so that man, can, he needs to start a library or something, uh, he gave me a pile of books uh, to, to study with, and I appreciate that, um, and he even gave me one with Ephesians and Philippians, uh, because that's where I thought I was going to be. A while back, uh, the Lord laid something on my heart, I've been fired up over it, uh, I've also found out that I get fired up over stuff, and I'll go to our pastor and, you know, not yelling, but I'm, I'm worked up, and he'll find a way to be like, Jake, let me explain this to you. And by the end of it, I feel about this this big. I'm like, all right, all right, back it down a little bit. But uh, I, I've been wanting to, you know, tell others why we should tell others, uh, to, to help build a group that would uh, be willing to go out and... Uh, so in that, 
I got a message of the Great Commission. Uh, I think Luke can add it a little bit. Um, so I, if you will, the title of my message tonight is Why We Should Tell Others. Um, and I'll move into my first point, and that's going to be the love of Christ. Um, if you turn your Bibles to Luke 15, uh, we're going to be reading verse 4 through 7. I'll give you all a second to turn there. Also, I've, <clears throat> I've always thought that, you know, a pastor giving his first message or, or somebody preaching, I don't consider myself a pastor. Um, if you want people to want you to come back, it's to get them out just a little bit early. So I, I'll do my best, so you, you know, don't hold y'all over at all. But uh, in verse 15, if we, if we start down there in verse 4, we'll read through uh, verse 7. It says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth he not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he find it? And when he found it, and layeth it on his shoulder, rejoicing, and when he, when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you likewise, joy shall be in heaven, and over one sinner that repenteth, moreover the ninety-nine just persons which need no repentance. Uh, I took this parable, and I looked at it a bunch of different ways. I was like, there is so much here that I never realized before. I mean, we tell kids that are knee-high, you know, about the lost sheep. And uh, I was thinking about how great our our Lord's, our, our God's love is for us, that he would be willing to go out and save just one. Um, I even started thinking about, you know, how much money we spend here at the church on vacation Bible school and outreach events, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's it's worth it for the one. Um, you know, I don't care if we spend $100,000 for vacation Bible school. I, we don't come anywhere close to that. But if one person wants to get saved at the end of it, it it's, it's worth all of it. Um, and then I'll start thinking about, uh, you know, if we have that one, one sheep, one cow that continuously got out, um, it may, maybe this won't make sense to you. This just went through my head. Uh, if we, I know we have farmers here. If that one uh, cow got out, that one sheep, and kept going out and going out and going out, uh, I feel like a lot of us would, you know, either butcher it or sell it. Our God doesn't do that. You know, he doesn't write us off. He, he comes and he saves no matter what. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter where you've been. If you're, if you're a human here on this earth and you, you breathe and you walk this earth, God could save you. And, and that's why we need to tell others is because he loves us enough to save us. He loves them enough to save them. And then if we move uh, to my point two, we'll be in uh, John chapter 10. We'll read uh, verses 14 through 18. Uh, that's going to be the sacrifice of Christ. And, I, and point one and point two go hand in hand. First, we look at the love of Christ and how much he loves us. And then we move to the sacrifice, which is, again, just highlighting how much God loves us. I'll give you all a second just to get there. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And the other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doeth the Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. The Lord is willing to, to lay down his life for the sheep. And, and, and Jesus, he, he didn't have to do it. He gave his life. Yes, people, people put him on that cross. People beat him brutally to save us, but he did it willingly. Um, if you look at uh, John 15, 13, I'll just flip there real quick. I, I like this verse, and, and people apply it to a worldly sense too. Um, Greater love hath no man than this that laid down his life for his friends. Talking about love and laying down his life, the Lord did that. He, he did it for not, right, we, we, we praise the, the military for going and, and fighting in the wars and, you know, somebody will jump on a grenade and they'll put that in their Facebook, Instagram bio, whatever, uh, but nobody, you know, nobody would go in if somebody threw a grenade into a, a bank that was being robbed and it was just the bank robber in there. Who's going to jump on it, right? Because that, that guy deserves death. Well, so do we, but God will lay down his life for the bank robber too. You know, the sinners, we're all sinners. Um, he, he's laying his life down for everybody, and that's the greatest love out there. And that's, again, why we should be telling others is because it doesn't matter what they have done, where they have been, God can save them. I always go back and think about the, the things that God's done in my life in the sense of... Uh, the, the simple things, the simplicity of life and where God has shown his greatness. I'm not sure if I've, I've I don't think I've told the story up here because I don't think I've preached since this happened, but uh, Aiden Tilly and I were uh, working on a house there in Stanton, and uh, I love this story because it just shows the mercy of God and, and his grace and his love for us is uh, we were working on a pretty big project. We were doing a two-story addition, and uh we were trying to get it dried in because if not, a lot of stuff was going to get ruined. We were just laying plywood and putting the tape down and whatnot, and uh, we ran out of the, uh, the the tape. And Lowe's was about 20 minutes away, and it was getting ready to rain. And, like, we looked up, and it was like, I think it was 1 or 2 in the afternoon. I can't quite remember, but I know it wasn't supposed to be getting dark anytime soon, but, brother, it was dark. It was black clouds looked at the forecast, and it says, raining right now. It, it wasn't raining. We just started praying, Lord, please, please hold off this rain. we got to go to Lowe's. And uh, we, so we both drove to Lowe's to get the tape because there was no point in one of us just sitting there watching it, you know, ruin our stuff in case it did. And uh, we got back, and we sealed that last piece of tape, took that Z-roller and rolled it down. And as soon as we did that, it was dried in. It started to rain. And that just showed right there that God cares about the, the simple stuff too. Um, and, and that just made me want to go, go tell somebody, like, hey, look, you know, Luke, Brother Luke was talking about worries, but, you know, we give stuff to him like that, and, and he'll take care of it. Um, so we've looked at the love of Christ and, and what he's done, and we've looked at the sacrifice of Christ and that he's, you know, willing to die for us. Uh, and, and then I just want to look at our responsibility to Christ. If you uh, will, flip your Bibles to Matthew 28, 18. Um, this, is, this is the Great Commission. 
uh, Brother Luke hinted at this too. I was sitting there. I was like, man, he told me just don't be, uh, you know, the Old Testament, and I'd be all right. I was like, he, you know, he said, all right, Psalms is mine. I was like, all right, all right, all right. And then he started saying some stuff at the beginning of his message and then the end of his message about the Great Commission. And I was like, you know, he might as well just go ahead and preach my message too. Um, so, anyways, I'll, I'll start in verse 18 and we'll, we'll go through verse 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, it's right here, Jesus is about to speak. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Uh, so when, when I take that and, and read it, I'll just kind of break it down. Uh, <clears throat> all power is given unto me in the heaven and the earth. He's the Almighty. He, he rules the heaven. He rules the earth. Um, so, at the, you know, if, if we had a, a problem here in the county, you know, we, we think, you know, oh, well, you can call the sheriff or call the state police or, you know, if you could get the president on the phone, you would because he, you know, rules the United States. But we have the ruler of the heaven and the earth. Amen. We could go to him about stuff. You know, if you're struggling with something, yeah, you can go seek a counselor. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I've been to one. You can talk to somebody. You can go to your pastor and talk to them. But at the end of the day, you have God. You could always rely on him because he's in control of everything. And then in verse 19, he says, go ye, therefore, go ye therefore teaching all nations. So when I said that, you know, if you're a Christian, we, we should be telling people about God, it's because God told us to. Why should I do it? Well, because he told me to, but also he loves us and he has sacrificed for us. And then it continues on saying, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, whosoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So with the Great Commission, I kind of broke it, broke it down into how, when, and where. Um, you might say, well, that's not for me. You know, I, I'm an introvert. I don't like uh, talking to people. Um, I, you know, anytime God tells us to do something, um, we always ask, well, well why God, why, why me, right? Or, or why did this happen? Why am I supposed to do that? Um, I don't want to do that. Um, well, when it comes to telling people about him, we need to do it because he told us to do it. Um, and then how to do it. I, uh, I kind of broke that down and saying, well, we have gospel tracts, we have the Bible, but we also have the way you live. So I kind of uh, tell a story about one, uh, about a gospel tract. The other day in uh, Lowe's, I had a gospel tract in my pocket. I, I actually really liked it. I wanted to keep it, but I knew somebody else needed it more than I did. Uh, <laughs> Pastor John gave it to me. He came back from that conference, and he said, I think this is a good one for you um, to, you know, you like this. And it uh, had 101 uh, funniest one-liners on it. So it just had a bunch of little jokes in it. And uh, anyways, in the middle of it, it had the plan of salvation. And I thought that was really neat. Uh, I saw a guy, and he was just standing there. I saw him across the store. And I was like, I'm going to go give that to him. I'm going to stand there in Lowe's. And I walked up to him. I was like, hey, man. I said, 
<clears throat> I have this. I was like, it's just a bunch of funny jokes. It was like, it's nothing inappropriate, nothing like that. I said, you can have it if you want. He's like, nope, I'm good. Man, it was like, I felt like the Lord just laid that person on my heart from across the store. And uh, so I was like, all right, well, then I got to thinking, all right, what if I didn't like talking to people? You know, what could people do? And, and gospel tracts are the easiest things to just lay down places. And, and right, if you see that 101 funniest jokes or whatever, right, that's going to spark somebody's attention and they might grab it. I put it right there by the concrete there in Lexington. Um, so if any of y'all picked it up, put it back. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but if you don't like talking to people, you can put gospel tracts everywhere. Uh, I'm not sure who it was, uh, if it was a revival or somebody that just come in and preach and they said they went and put it in shoes or something. Who, who was that? Brother Perlack, that's right. Um, that, that's awesome. You know, I, I think we need more of that. Um, just so many different ways to spread the gospel. Um, and then... If you're just old-fashioned and, and you're willing to just take the Bible right here and walk up to somebody and say, hey, can I tell you about God? That's, you know, if that's the way you want to go, go for it. I couldn't, I, I don't know if I'd be comfortable just walking up to somebody in Lowe's with, with my Bible. Uh, that might be where I struggle at. Um, you know, out here, if somebody approaches me, I could take it to them. But just walking up to somebody, I don't know how that's portrayed uh, to them. But then I look at the way we live. Um, I struggle with this. Uh, I, I, a lot of Christians struggle with this, but people watch Christians. If we're trying, if you if you work anywhere, uh, they if they're thinking about salvation, they're gonna be watching you. Um, and so the way we live is very important. Um, I don't want to ridicule anybody or accuse anybody because I'm guilty of this. But you know, just doing the wrong things that might not be. Uh, terrible sins or, or whatnot, but, you know, if I skip a Wednesday night service to go to the ball game and so-and-so sees me there and they're like, well, now they could justify why they don't need to go to church. Uh, stuff like that. It, um, if you slip up and, and say a bad word uh, and that person that could you be uh, witnessing to is like, well, I mean, how are they any better than me if, if they're saying that or doing that? Um, why do, why do I need God if they do the same same stuff I do? Uh, so the way we live is a great way to witness to people. And then I look at where. Where do we do this? Where do we tell people about Christ? And if you go back, it says, Go ye therefore and teach, teach all nations. That's everywhere. Everywhere you could possibly put your feet, we need to be telling people about God. Um, so... It, you know, if I go out of here tonight and <laughs> I go to uh, Wendy's, right, and I'm going to get myself a Frosty, if I see somebody right there, I, I can go back here, grab me a gospel track, go to Wendy's, I can leave it right there on the counter. Even if I don't want to tell anybody and I just want to leave a gospel track, I can do it tonight. And right there, I'm spreading God's word. It's there. Um, so we could go anywhere and teach people. Lexington, it, it doesn't have to be a third world country to be able to fulfill the Great Commission because Lexington, Rockbridge, Augusta County, we're all within the nations. So we could do it right here in our hometowns. Um, you know, I don't know if anybody said this before. I, I kind of thought this was funny. Y'all might not. Uh, you know, here in Rockbridge, Augusta County, unless it's a Jehovah's Witness or somebody from Albert Baptist Church, they probably shouldn't be knocking on your door. Um, uh, you know, I feel like that's just the, the mindset uh, that a lot of people have. 
Um, you know, somebody's knocking on your door. It's just this, those Jehovah's Witnesses again. Um, but that's, why are we okay with going over to a, a different country and doing it, but we just don't do it here? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's uh, because we're afraid of what people are going to think about us. I, I always have thought that I really don't care what people think about me. Um, in, in a lot of sense, I still have that mindset. You know, uh, in the military, I really could care less if somebody liked me, not liked me, out there on the streets, if somebody's like, I really don't like you, all right, that's fine, here's your ticket, have a good day. Um, but when it comes to telling people about Christ, I feel like we we kind of worry, all right, oh, well, you know, what, what are they going to think about me? But I look at it uh, when, when he says in verse 20, lo, I'm with you always. And I thought about that as I was sitting there, and I started to worry, you know, get nervous about coming up here. I was like, but why? Because my God is with me. Why do I need to be nervous to come up here? You know, wherever I go, he, he's going to be with me. I don't need to worry about it. You know, if, if that person doesn't like me, I know my God loves me, and that's what I need to worry about. You know, am, am, I, am I making him happy? I store my riches in heaven. I don't, I don't really need to worry about what's down here. Um... I just need to, to tell people about him. And then I looked at when, and I think the answer to that is all the time. All the time we, we should be living for him. All the time we should be telling people about him. And all the time we should love him. And so to just run back through it, how to do it, whatever way you feel comfortable with, where to do it, everywhere, and then when to do it, all the time. Just show the love of Christ all the time. Tell people about him and, and, and just witness to people. And even if, if you can't, you know, witness to them, if, if you invite them to church, if you're like, all right, I'm, I'm really nervous to share the gospel, if, if you take a, a flyer from the church and just hand it to them and they come, the pastor or a deacon or somebody in the church, a church member, can lead them to Christ or, or at least show them how they can be saved and, and you have done your part the best you could. Uh, I uh, appreciate y'all having me tonight. I uh, appreciate y'all allowing Luke and myself to come up here uh, and, f- you know, stand behind this pulpit. That's that's a lot to ask from a church. Um, I know we've, you know, been coming for a while, but it's it's still, you know, to allow somebody to do that uh, takes a, a lot of trust. So thank y'all. I, I hope uh, I said something, you know, that will, you know, go with you tonight and that you could think about. I hope I didn't offend anybody or nothing like that. But I'm going to pray, and then I'll turn it back over to Pastor John. Lord, just thank you. Thank you for allowing uh, me to, to come out tonight and make it here on time and uh, to share this, what you, what you laid on my heart, Lord. I know I've been passionate about it. Uh, I just pray that uh, I can upkeep the, the Great Commission, Lord. I could go out and tell people and, you know, not worry about it. And, I, you know, I encourage people, if they want to do it but they're a little nervous, they could contact me, and uh, I'll go out with them, Lord. Uh, you know, as long as as long as I'm available from work, I'm willing to go. Uh, I just thank you for this church, this church family that loves and supports people who are willing to preach. In your name, I pray. Amen.
Jake, appreciate that. I want to tell you what, it's something we can never be reminded of enough, and that is our need to take the gospel, to tell a lost world about a Savior they'll save. Amen, amen. Appreciate Jake sharing his burden, and uh, he, he has been right busy lately going, knocking doors. We had an outreach a few weeks ago, and uh, they've been going and knocking, and they've been telling me about it. Pastor, we hit this road. Pastor, we hit that road. And so he's living what he's preaching, and so I appreciate uh, some that's not just telling you what you ought to do, but he's living what he's preaching. And uh, so appreciate Jake, appreciate Luke. Thanks to both of you. Appreciate you being willing uh, to do what you feel the Lord is calling you to do. Now, if I could give you a little bit of advice, this advice was given to me when I was about 18 or 19 years old, and I was called to preach and I wanted to preach, you know. And a, pa a pastor said to me, he said, Well, if you're called to preach, go find yourself a pulpit. I'm like, Oh, what do you mean? He's like, there's places to preach everywhere. And through his direction, I started preaching in two different nursing homes. One was about 20 minutes from my home. The other one was about 35 minutes from my home. And every week, I had my guitar. I, don't, I know three chords, and I'm a terrible singer, but I'd take my guitar, and I'd sing, and I'd preach in them nursing homes every week. And I'm telling you what, the Lord taught me to preach in those nursing homes. I remember one nursing home I was in. There was a, a sweet lady there in that nursing home. And, uh, boy, she was a saint God. She knew God, boy, she was a saint. And I'd be preaching and she'd say, Brother John, yes, ma'am, that's not right. <laughs> I'm like, it's not right? No, the Bible says. And I'd be like, oh, thank you. And we'd go on and preach some more. And boy, I'm telling you what, uh, the Lord helped me though. And so I encourage you. And you don't have to go to nursing homes. There's plenty of opportunities. Find a pulpit. God's giving you a message. Take that message. Find a place to preach it. And as the Lord opened doors, be faithful to serve him. But thanks to y'all. Thanks to everyone that came to support them. After we dismiss, be sure to shake their hand. Let them know you're praying for them. Praying that the Lord work in their life and you. And Father, it's been good to be in your house. It's good to see, uh, Lord, that you are at work. It's good to see, Lord, that you're burdening the hearts of men. And, Lord, that they're willing to take the gospel and, Lord, to share it uh, to a lost and dying world. Father, I pray that you will direct their lives. As, Lord, they've uh, sought to follow you. Lord, that you'll open doors. You'll direct their path. And, Lord, you'll show them where it is that you would have them to preach. Father, we'll thank you for it. Help us as a church, Lord, to be supportive, to encourage them, uh, Lord, on their way. Father, thank you for each one that can came out this evening. Bless us as we go throughout this week. I pray, dear Father, Lord, that you will help us to be a witness. Help us to be willing to tell others about you. Help us, Lord, to lay aside the sorrow and the worry and the anxiety, Lord, that often keeps us from being effective in reaching others. And Father, help us to be faithful to serve you. Thank you for your goodness. Bless us throughout this evening. And Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed.